This is Laura Faraci filling in for Ed today. Thanks to our home station, Lorania, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, and to the other stations around the country that rebroadcast our show. You can also listen online or as a podcast. Okay, let's thank some of the businesses um, in the Des Moines area that support this show. Gateway Market and Cafe at 20th and Woodland in Sherman Hill. Ed's Grocery Store and also a wonderful cafe for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Gateway has an excellent catering service as well. Hawk Restaurant in the East Village, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and producers. One of the best farm-to-fork restaurants in the city. Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th in Des Moines, serving authentic Mexican food with great service at affordable prices. Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand Ave in Des Moines. For your home, car, property, life, and health insurance, stop by. No appointment needed. Now, our guest this portion of the program is Rich Rosendahl, and we are going to be discussing a pretty heavy subject today, um, one that a lot of folks get really uncomfortable about. Um, And I chose today, um, I I guess I need to preface this, because when we're going to talk about white privilege, I think it's important that white people need to understand what that is before we can actually start addressing it. So on another show, I would love to have some of my black and brown social justice and and, and racial equality friends on here. But this is primarily, um, we are primarily talking to other white people. We need uh, white people to stand up as allies for our black and brown brothers and sisters. And um, we are the biggest barrier in that. So... um, I first heard about Rich on Facebook. I saw some of his live feeds, and I thought, wow, this is a cool dude. And um, you do work in racial justice, but you also um, are involved in the um, in the Palestinian peace endeavor. <laughs> I'm not sure they've seen peace there in a long time, but that is something that we can talk about in a little bit. I'd like to find out a little bit more about that organization. But first, uh, welcome Thank, Thank you. you for coming. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, and I, I know we're live on your Facebook feed, which yep. is great. Hello to all of Rich's uh, followers. Um, tell me first how you became a white ally. Um, well, my entry into social issues was, for a lot of people, it was actually kind of backwards. Um, I first got involved with social justice through the Middle East. Um, it wasn't specifically Palestine, but it was through the Middle East I began to understand the things that we believe to be true, especially someone with my background or my upbringing um, or my perspective, the things that I believe to be true that were so untrue. The Middle East started to teach me about that. The things that we believed about our neighbors who live in Palestine or Iraq or Lebanon um, or Syria or all throughout the region, the things that we thought were accurate about them were completely untrue. And that started the awakening, so to speak, in my life of um, looking at the world around us and saying, okay, what other things could I be completely unaware of? Sadly for me, I hung out in that place of focusing on the Middle East for far too long. That's all I was paying attention to. I was ignoring systemic racism here in America. I wasn't trying to learn more about that. I wasn't trying to understand misogyny and, and how... I, as a white man, was contributing to so many other problems in this country and around the world. So that's what got me started. But it was a long time before I started to expand my understanding um, and to seek to, under, to seek to know more about the social issues facing 
people all over the world. One of the things that I think is a barrier for a lot of white folks, and this is, you know, we're in the Midwest. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I actually grew up in a black neighborhood. So for me, it was very normalized. Just right. It just was, it wasn't even a thing I questioned. Now, I still recognize my white privilege in that instance, but I was more comfortable um, around um, my black and brown friends, I think because I just was around them more and I got to go to their houses and play with them and eat with them. And, you know, when you grow up in a place where there aren't very many black people, I know my mom's from Norwalk and she didn't see a black person until she went to go shopping at the Yonkers in Des Moines when she was, mm. you know, 15. So you grew up in a kind of small um, town here in Iowa. I did, very small town. Uh, my upbringing was pretty much an all-white town mm -hmm. here in eastern Iowa. I went to an almost all-white college in Iowa as well. So as far as proximity, I didn't have encounters with neighbors who didn't look like me. I mean, that was rare. And the thing was, it certainly shaped my perspective um, on a lot of things. Um, but the truth is, when it comes to how we grow up, we can have that be part of how we view the world, but it can't be an excuse. And that's what I had to come to terms with. Yeah, I grew up in a small town, and I come from Iowa, and I didn't have a lot of experiences with people who were unlike me. But it's we live in a different world. We're in the information age. We can travel. We can study. We can look for quality sources to try to find out new information. And for me... I, my white privilege allowed me to just ignore those issues. I didn't go deeper into them. And maybe even I made the excuse that I was from a small town and from I had an ultra-conservative background. And, you know, it was a way for me to kind of lean into that privilege and just ignore stuff. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is we can't continue to do that. We can't use those as excuses. We have to, no matter where we are, we have to take steps to understand our white privilege, to understand white fear, white fragility. These are all phrases and ideologies that we need to understand if we're going to unmake racism in this country. And it doesn't matter where we're from. We have to take those yeah, steps. I totally agree. Um, when we talk about white, white fragility, I think a lot of white folks aren't real familiar with that term. Um, can you kind of break that down for us? Well, what comes to mind um, when I think about it would be like, you know, I, I wish I had the confidence of a mediocre white man. Maybe you've heard this term. I'm a pretty mediocre white man, but for whatever reason, I grew up with this enormous confidence that I could pretty much do anything. And I was an expert on everything, which is complete BS, really. I'm not an expert on what women face every day. I'm not an expert on what our black or brown neighbors face every day, but I sure acted like... I knew those things. So with that ego comes a sense of fragility. In other words, if someone challenges that, we get pretty quick to be defensive. If someone alluded to me many years ago that I might be slightly racist, I wouldn't stop and listen and think, oh, my gosh, I need to learn something and not be racist anymore or seek to un unmake my racism. Instead, I responded with aggress aggression or defensiveness or whatever it might be. So that white fragility is, you know, this is just a small little quip on what it is. It's, it goes much beyond that. But a lot of it's rooted in that idea, well, I'm not that way. You know, how dare someone suggest I could not be this amazing, truly mediocre <laughs> white man that I am. And that causes that fragility and that reaction so intense, it often shuts down conversations um, and it can lead to other problems. 
like um, disassociation and mm. cognitive dissonance. Um, right. One of the things I think of about white fragility is folks that don't see the problem aren't really seeing it because it's not happening to them. Mm. And so part of the, the problem with, you know, the white privilege, it's this um, sort of unconscious uh, thing placed in all of us white people for the most part. It doesn't really matter about your socioeconomic background. I mean, mm-hmm. you can be very poor and still, you know, you're still walking in a store white. And, um, you know, so I know people try to make the... Uh, you know, say, oh, well, you know, I've got black friends or I, I grew up poor, too, or I had it bad. Right. And those are all true. Nobody is taking those those um, life experiences away from anybody or, or trying to, um, you know, uh, uh, make them not less than what they are. But you still get to go into a store not or, or not be profiled by cops. So there's just this other level of disenfranchisement that is coming with just the pigment of someone's skin. Well, and I, I agree with you completely. I think when, when part of my problem with white privilege that I'm still trying to work through, and I will be for the rest of my life, there's no, you know, arrival. Um, I don't think when it comes to stuff, it's a constant process that we have to work through. And, you know, one of the things was when we hear white privilege, a lot of people like I once was would shut down. Well, I'm not privileged. I don't come from tons of money or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it may be. White privilege isn't an absence of hardship. And we often think that that's what we think of when we think of privilege or white privilege. Um, and we have to get over that. We have to normalize being able to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why I, my goal, my job as a white man in America is to really shut up and listen. You know, I need to be listening to women. I need to be listening to our black and brown neighbors. Um, I need to be listening to our international neighbors. That's my job. And then in addition to that, I think is to help normalize these converse, conversations among other white people, right? I think I, I want to share with them, hey, we need to start talking about this and understanding things like what is white privilege? If we think it's an absence of hardship and we're checking out of the conversation because of that, then we don't understand it. And racism will continue until we start to uh, seek those meaningful changes. There's some phrases that I want to um, touch on. And I think we've got like one minute till this first break. Um, when someone, when a white person says, oh, I don't see color, I just see you as a human being. Well, that's wonderful. But basically, you're not seeing them as a fully formed human being. It's it's degrading. It's, um, I think it makes, and when people hear that, um, then they're like, what, am I see-through? Like, what are you seeing? And I think white people need to understand the sentiment behind that is, I don't see you as black. I see you as like me. And that is totally disregarding their self altogether and their, literally their body, not, right. as, along with all the experiences that come with of it. And what other um, things do white people say that, that they need to stop saying? Uh, there's tons. <laughs> um, if you listen to me talk long enough, you'll, you'll yeah. hear them. Ultimately... Um, you know, when people start to get into that role of where they want to seek meaningful changes and they're white like us, we're going to screw up. Yep. We're going to do really dumb things. The key to that is bracing ourselves and being ready when we do get pushed back, not to let our white fragility come out, but have our ears and our hearts and our yep. minds open to listen, to understand what we're doing wrong and then make those changes right away. It can be tough. Um, I know we get um, scared and self-conscious about talking about it. Um, but literally, it's got to happen. Because if we don't, everyone is suffering. Our country could be so much greater if everybody had more of an equitable seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we've uh, we, we've got to demand that from our leaders, our elected leaders, and from our corporations and uh, businesses. So um, I think we're about ready to go to break here in a sec. Thanks for listening. Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms, and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York, and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to, to New York City. When you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149. Community CPA and Associates with locations in Des Moines and Coralville is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information. Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends, for more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie and delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining. to the Fallon Forum, folks. <laughs> this is Laura Faraci. You know, I'm filling in for Ed today. Thanks uh, a lot to our home station, Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, and to the other stations around the world, or excuse me, country, we're working on the world, um, that rebroadcast the show. You can listen online or on podcast. Let's thank a few of the other businesses that, local businesses that make the forum possible. Sargent's Garage at 6th and College in Des Moines, where you're always going to get an honest assessment at a fair price. 
Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding, has been taking care of critters big and small for over 30 years. Catering by Sid, Sid Cohen, uses the finest ingredients, many of them locally sourced, and she offers vegetarian, gluten-free, and vegan options. Community CPA, that's who I use, with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City for all of your tax and accounting needs. And we're back with Rich Rosendahl. Thanks again for coming on again uh, today. I really appreciate it. And we're talking about um, the kind of heavy subject of, of white privilege. And we kind of talked about what that looks like. And there's some phrases like, you know, oh, well, I have black friends. So that must mean that I'm not racist. I think I want to be clear with everybody that, and I think you agree with this, that our country was built on a racist construct. I mean, it was literally built on white male supremacy. Right. And um, to be specific, Anglo-Saxon, I mean, Protestant, even Catholics were, you know, having issues for many years. So it's an important to understand that if we come from that base as a country mm-hmm. and that structure, and those structures are still prevalent today, our our penal code system, our justice system, um, all of our elected officials and all that system, it's all kind of rooted in that white privilege. And I think if folks, um, both, you know, black and white people, brown people can understand that part a little bit better, it's no excuse. Um, it doesn't negate from everyday microaggressions and big aggressions that are happening to people every day. But I think it's important to understand that because if we don't change those institutions, um, just changing people's actions and attitudes isn't going to be enough. Absolutely. I think uh, when you when you think about how our country was formed, we also even go just a step further back and talk about you know colonizing this land and the genocide committed against the indigenous people who lived here. We have a history of uh, treating others in a very uh, disturbing way. Um, the hard part, I think, that we run into, and I certainly did and continue to try to flush this out in my life, is I think as white people in modern time, is we, we, we tend to seek things that soothe our conscience. Instead white fragility. Of, white fragility instead <laughs> of dealing with the problem. And it's so easy. Like you think of all lives matter. Right. That is a great way to soothe our conscience. Right. It sounds super righteous and inclusive and all this. It's, it's actually horrible. In fact, our, the spokesman for the Des Moines Police Department recently talked about that. I did a video. I think he should be removed from his position because he's, he's the spokes- spokesman. He's, he's the person who is the conduit between the community yeah. and the police force. And he came out and said, well, um, this church who had put up a Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter banner had said that he thought that was not good, that that would be more uh, divisive for the community and that they should take it down and put an All Lives Matter banner up, which means he totally does not understand what Black Lives Matter means. Two big issues there. One, when we start to, we're we're trying to soothe our conscience, right, with virtue signaling, right? All Lives Matter, it's so inclusive. I want to, okay, that's ridiculous. And we need to look at the situation and realize that as white people, we're drawn to that because it's the path of least resistance for us. And we do that too often. Then for him to be in his role and to be completely unaware of what he's saying and what that means for, you know, the black community here and those who support Black Lives Matter, that's just scary. That shows that he should, in my opinion, and I don't want to sit and just make it about him because I was him not that long ago. Many of us were him not that long ago. What I want to bring up to all of my friends who, you know, maybe hear that and think that that might, you know, um, 
makes sense or whatever is to consider, are we soothing our conscience? Is that what we're really doing? Are we unwilling to go the, take that extra step? Are we unwilling to um, try to go on the path of more resistance to seek that important change in our communities? Yeah. Um, so Black Lives Matter came about because there was uh, just tons of, of black, young black people, men and women and older, being shot at a much more higher rate and uh, being be brutalized by cops um, in a much higher rate than white people. And the whole idea was, well, let's let's put this, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter out because we want people to care. We want black bodies to matter. And they don't. They don't on a, like, sort of structural level in our country. They don't matter when it comes to women being pregnant. They don't matter when kids are in preschool and they're getting called at a much higher rate than their white counterparts. So it's important that white people understand that until they, they, our black and brown brothers and sisters, are given the same amount of respect, the same type of treatment that our white children get, then it's not equal. And so there is no all lives matter right now. Right. And I agree. And I think that when I when I think about Black Lives Matter, the thing that's the most disturbing to me is one, first of all, I do proclaim Black Lives Matter. I support the movement unconditionally. I don't I mean there's nothing not to support yeah. there. But the fact that I'm now thirty eight years old and how old I was when I first started to pay attention to this and it took our neighbors being brutalized in the streets, which isn't necessarily new, but it was new to me in my, you know, late twenties early 30s before I started to open my eyes, that's that's gross. And that's who I was and that's who I am. And that's who we are as a society. So when we step in and we start to attack a Black Lives Matter movement that is there to help us see what's been right in front of us all along, mm-hmm. yet we haven't engaged to do the right things to overcome it, you know, there's a problem. So All Lives Matter is not just... I mean, it's just it's it's a, it's uh, it's deadly is what it is, yeah. because it's trying to silence a movement that we all need to hear. And I don't we can't have people like me going that long in life before they have to see someone in their car with their little kid in the back seat. Like, you know, we just we sh- it never should have gotten to this point, And now we cannot let it go further. We need to support yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement. We don't need to bring up things that try to tear it down. We need to realize we as white people are the problem. And we have to make changes. It has to happen if we want to have our society be inclusive and all the things that we talk about that we want for everybody. That's what it's going to take. Yeah, the ideals that our country are built on are beautiful. And um, there it's a, you know, like people say that uh, the Constitution is a living document, Bill of Rights, really. And those things are great, but they're not fulfilled. And we have to continue moving forward um, for that. But meanwhile, daily, people are dying. And so I think the urgency for a lot of white people isn't there because it's not affecting them that way. Exactly. Um, and so for me, being, um, as they say, woke means that that is something I'm thinking about almost 24-7. Um, and the other thing about coming to Des Moines and to the Midwest is you don't see a lot of brown people here, black people here. And so for me, it is where I come from, racism is talked about. A lot more openly than it is here. It is accepted. And the fact that people like white people know it's happening. So the problem with the Midwest that needs to be addressed, I think, is that white people need to understand that this stuff is happening. Maybe just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean it's not happening. And um, stop calling the police. 
because yeah. you're killing people. <laughs> I mean, really, well, it's I, uh, just... You touched on a, quite a few points there, and I think <laughs> you know, the Midwest is... I got all sorts of great things to say about this part oh, of the I world. Oh, I love the Midwest, yeah. But, man, we are blowing it in some key areas, and yeah. we have no excuses left. I mean, Black Lives Matter should not have had to do what they did, but they did. Colin Kaepernick should not have had to kneel, but he did. Now is our chance, and it should have happened a long, long time mm-hmm. ago. We have got to shut up and listen. We have got to take meaningful steps to make changes in our society. We have to support political leaders who don't look like us. And that's, I don't care how liberal or progressive or whatever someone claims to be. We need to support those leaders. We have to. We also have to do that in the religious sector. We have to support non-white leaders. I mean, in the religious world, that is one of the most segregated parts of our country. I mean, we have to make changes there. We have to make changes in the workplace. We These things have to happen. There's no more excuses unless... You know, we look at those videos or whatever it is, and we choose the path of least resistance that soothes our conscience. And maybe we can go to sleep at night, but we are not doing what we need to for all of our neighbors. We are not um, – we can't run around and talk about how great we are when we're yeah. looking the other way. It's it, it's it has to happen now. And it's there, imperative. There were no excuses, yeah. and now there certainly are no excuses once again right. for us to make those meaningful changes. So real changes. quickly, you're, you've, you're about to go. Yeah. I want to mention Surge, uh, Showing Up for Racial mm-hmm. Justice. This is an organization, uh, Surge.org, um, S-U-R-J, Showing Up for Ra- Racial Justice is an organization that is for white people to learn more about how they can be white allies to our black and brown brothers and sisters. Um, Surge is designed to be um, not to try to lead people or tell people in the black and brown communities how to do things, because there's been enough of that. This is to show white people how they can be allies, how they can support, how they can follow, what things they can do to... um, uh, help, And then I wanted you to real quick do a plug for your Palestinian organization. Well, it's not a Palestinian organization. Oh, I mean, uh, Palestinian. So we do have a nonprofit, yeah. my wife and I. She's also an author. Her book just came out. You should check it out. It's on our Facebook page. But our organization is called The Nations. Nations. It's You can find it at thenations-dsm.org. Uh, the nation's dsm.org you can uh, we take teams of volunteers over to the Middle East among a lot of other things that we do so mm-hmm. if anyone who's paying attention wants to go to the Middle East with us we'll be volunteering in a Syrian refugee camp our next opportunity is in March of next year there's more than enough time to get you th- uh, in, into the program so check that out and you can just learn more about our work and my wife who's far cooler and more interesting than I am you can check out her book and find her on Facebook as well I like uh, look forward to meeting her and thank you again for coming on today I really appreciate your time cool and also the good work that you're doing, because we need more white men like you out there supporting. I think it's the minimum. I don't think I'm doing much more than this is the bare minimum. If we well, can't get to the standard, we have a, we're going to have some continued problems. You keep problems. raising that standard then. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. This is Laura Faraci filling in for Ed. Thanks to our home station, Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines. And to the other stations around the country that rebroadcast our show. You can also listen online or as a podcast. Let's thank a few of the local businesses that make the forum possible. Sergeant's Garage at 6 in College in Des Moines, where you're always going to get an honest assessment at a fair price. 
Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding, has been taking care of critters big and small for every for over 30 years. Catering by Sid. Sid Cohen uses the finest ingredients, many of them locally sourced, and gluten-free and vegan options. Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City for all of your tax and accounting needs. And I'm back here with the second half of the Fallon Show. Um, I think we've, we're, we're trying to get um, April Hall on the phone, and I think she's calling in right now. Hello, April. Can you hear me? Hello. I Hi, can hear you. So um, we just got back from commercial, and um, uh, I wanted to let folks know a little about you. You contacted Ed Fallon. Um, you follow him on the Fallon Forum, and, and you contacted him because there are some major, um, as people know, the major fires going on in California, and lots of lives lost, tons of property lost. It's just really sad all around. But one of the most acute needs that you um, identified were uh, face masks, ones that are a particular number that um, protect folks from uh, some of these heavy particulate matter in the air there. So you contacted Ed to see if there was anything that he could do. And I know that we've got a load of face masks headed, face masks headed your way. But one of the reasons we wanted to do this show was to bring a little more awareness of what's happening over there. And I know you sent me a video um, last night, and it was so incredibly sad because folks just didn't get out of their homes in time, didn't get out in their cars in time, and there's going to be a lot more, um, unfortunately, dead bodies that they're going to find, continue finding with this fire. So, April, how are you doing, and what's the status of, of you and your family that lives in paradise? Well, um, we're doing all right. The air quality is recovering. I checked it this morning, and we're still up over 150 parts per million, which uh, I was looking yesterday, and they were saying that some of the worst in the world were, like, 160. And it's, it's incredible how quickly the air can turn on you here. And just it, all of the people that are literally living in, in, in tents, breathing this air you know they're they're not inside where there's some air conditioning that can help filter this out i mean literally people are living in tents in the walmart parking lot here and breathing this air and, and there's no where to get these masks and 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 air filters are all sold out uh costco brought in a load of, of air filters and they were gone in like an hour wow because everybody needs them and you know, they're just, it's a small town, you know, they're doing their best to keep up with stuff, but I mean, we only plan for a certain amount of things, and... Well, and it sounds like that this is, you know, I mean, people probably weren't thinking when the fires started, which had happened very quickly, as we know, that this is one of the things we're going to need. I mean, just getting people out initially was the biggest problem. Um, yeah. I know that it happened so fast. Yeah, and and I know that you know that area of California, pretty much everybody takes a lot of um, precautions and is very knowledgeable about fires. And they you know they just had a an evacuation um, you know like play that they did as practice. Um, but 
as we move forward with more fires, because I think, you know, I jokingly said, it's not a joke, but to someone the other day, there's two things we can count on in America, more shootings and more fires and, and other um, environmental uh, disasters. So one of the things I was hoping we could talk about today was, um, first of all, the masks. We want to get that information out. Um, I know we here uh, at the Fallon Forum will post a link to Bold Iowa where folks can um, donate money to offset the costs of these masks. And we're reaching out to other folks um, to see if we can get some there because it's just like they've run out of them. I mean, it's not like they didn't have enough because there was probably never enough in a situation like this, but that's something that's just you've been running out of. What about things like water? Are there any other things that folks can do to send or, yeah, what? Um, well, honestly, there's there's been a lot of donations. People up here have done a lot of, you know, I mean, California, we, we're ready for fires to happen. We're, we're good with the fire once it gets over with, usually, you know, trying to help people with getting clothes and food and things like that. But, I mean, it's Thanksgiving is a couple of days from now, and, and you know, it's, it's not so much that people lost their homes and their, their things, you know, like the the entirety of the holiday season is ruined for all of these people, you know? They lost their everything, you know? They're going to eat Thanksgiving out of metal tins at the, at the you know, the hall that whoever managed to acquire and turkeys that people have managed to drum up, you know? But, I mean... This is going to take a long time mm -hmm. to fix this. There's no place for these people to go. You know, like those people that are parked in the Walmart parking lot, they have nowhere to go. That's why they're in the Walmart parking lot, you know. And there's help for people, but there's no help for people unless they don't have pets. You know, there's there's 700 animals that are at the, the Chico Airport at the emergency place for the animals that can't be claimed because these people have no place to take them and we're not talking about cats and dogs we're talking about horses right. and goats and chickens you know i mean wow. these people lived in 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 a in a rural setting and you know these people don't have lots of money a lot of them couldn't didn't or couldn't have insurance where they lived you know and and it seems like there's all this help that's available but getting that help is really hard and so you know i mean that's that's kind of why i have turned to the people that you know i've known in my life to see if i can get this help because it just takes too long to get it through proper channels you know right right and, and doing all of it you know like on a personal basis i know people that have started their own there's a there's a Christmas wish list and they're trying to get like stockings and and Christmas tree ornaments and you know like things for people for Christmas because I mean we've got like 30 days till Christmas. Are there you any know? um April are there any organizations that you would like to mention on air cuz I know we've this 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 show goes out to Iowa but also to other couple of other parts of the country and I know people are so generous um, in America when it comes to things like this, especially before the holidays. It's just, it's really heartbreaking to think about all the little kids. And um, We started a page that was, that's entirely for the Christmas wish list. And they're asking people to put on there saying stockings, like what size their kids are. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get them, you know, like Christmas jammies and, you know, the simple things that people usually have for Christmas, you know, and. 
You know, everybody lost everything. They lost their stuffies. They lost their blankies, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's sad to watch these kids. You know, their parents are so stressed out. They're running around. They're, they're you know, there's all these things that they can get. But these, these little kids, man, you know, my niece, she lost her owls. And I know it sounds really trivial, but her owls were her whole world. Mm-hmm. You know, like she she heard that there was a fire. She watched her school burn on the TV and she started crying because, you know, like she doesn't understand, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't mm-hmm. know why Christmas is going to be like this now, you know, and all of these kids, we're talking lots of children that are just, and the school is out and everything mm-hmm. is canceled. There's nothing for them to do. Right. We can't go outside. We can't, you know, there's been holiday bazaar canceled, you know, these, all these things are canceled because there's nobody to run them, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody is so lost here. They just don't even know where to begin. Yeah, it's like it's like tragedy mode. Um, and, so, and so because what's the... of all those bodies up there, right. still, nobody can go back up there. So people can't finalize their insurance claims without a mm-hmm. picture of their burned house. You know, so everybody's in limbo, too. Yeah. So what is the name of that website? It's not a website. Oh. It's just a Facebook page. Okay. I want to say it's called the... This I can I can I can get you the link. I don't yeah. exactly know what it is. Let's do that, and we'll and I'll make sure it gets put on the Fallon Forum Facebook page. Um, I mean, there's because they're trying to, we're trying to like match people specifically. Oh, you need a stroller for your kid. Okay, we got a stroller right here. Here's mm-hmm. your stroller. You know, like I told somebody that I needed a high chair for my niece, and they sent one to my door. Oh wow! A brand new stroller, a brand new high chair. And I know that, you know, you'd mentioned um, when we discussed this earlier, Costco has been great. They actually opened up their local Costco's that anybody, okay. even without a membership, mm-hmm. could come in and shop. Are there are there other businesses that we can turn to and also support because they're supporting you guys? Um, I don't. The bar that I work, have been working <laughs> at, <laughs> the taco box has been great. Well, let's, I mean, what's the name of this bar? Let's get the name of this bar. It's called the Taco Box. The Taco it's Box. It's just like a, a good old boys kind of bar, you mm-hmm. know. And and they just the day that it happened, I was there making lunches for the fire department because that's like my side job. Mm-hmm. And um, they there were like fifteen kids there and like ten dogs and people t- coming in, you know, every so often telling you how they escaped from this fire. This man came down the hill on a dirt bike. You know, like the kind that you don't mm-hmm. ride on roads, mm-hmm. with a giant pit bull stretched across it. He came through the fire down the hill with his dog like that. You know, and that's just one little story. I mean, the bar put Disney Junior on the on the big screen for all those kids that were there watching. You know, trying to give them something to do, and they've been great. You know, and and they're doing the people. The people that usually make these lunches for the fire department, they're the ones that's homes burned down. And so you've got people in there that are just, they're, they're, they're crying while they're packing crackers into a bag, you know, because they want to keep doing this because it's, it's what we have to do. You know, it's like the only thing that we can do and feel like we're actually accomplishing something because mm-hmm. everything else is just hurry up and wait. Yeah, yeah. Um you had sent this video to me earlier, and one of the things about it that just struck me, this this older gentleman is talking about his, like, literally, s- 
second yeah, yeah seconds of 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 getting of getting away from the fire i mean that he showed his footage of his vehicle was melted mm-hmm. but he i somehow was able to get back up to this road that he had used and there are just tons of cars and burned bodies and and burned animals and one of the things yeah. he said that struck me was that one woman who didn't make it out was was putting her makeup on yeah. folks yeah. do not mess with fire or floods no. i mean this is no. big this is just you you just gotta you take what you can and you get out this as happened. quick as Let you me can give you a little window of how fast this happened okay my brother has to take his son to school in chico um and, and, and he, he has to be there and he's he in paradise to, right and he or was, was in paradise yeah, yeah. Um, and so he would have to leave around 7.45 to get his kid down. You know, it's a little bit traffic, whatever. And then he was driving across Chico to the other side of the mountain to go do some work. And in the time that it took him to get to where he was going, his wife was on the phone with him telling him that there, the fire was coming. And by the time that that I found out about it, they'd already closed the road. You know, it, we're talking about an hour, mm-hmm. maybe an hour from everything was fine. I'm going to work, honey. I'll see you later. To I don't know where my family is. I can't get a hold of anybody. My God, I hope they got out because there was there was nothing you could do. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get up there. You couldn't get a hold of anybody. The cell towers burned. So you know, like there's there's just it was waiting. We waited. It was hours before we knew whether or not my nieces and, and, and his wife got out. Well, I'm so thankful for you that that was the case because I know it wasn't for lots of other people. So, yeah. you know, we, we, we've got to, we got to get a little bit past the prayers and um, yeah. the thoughts and get into action mode, people. We um, have to clean this up. Like the yeah. schools are closed until December 3rd now because they have to bring surf pro in and clean the school. Right. This ash is toxic. They can't just leave it there. You can't blow it away. You got to pick it up and take it away. Right. One of the things I wanted to ask you because I saw pictures of a of maybe it was you and a baby or someone else and a baby. Are That's these my niece. okay? She's really cute. But I noticed that the mask was on her face. Now, for especially for small children, I imagine these masks that we're sending and that may come in are kind of one size fits all adult. Are there any smaller masks? I mean, I'm just, I just thought of that. Is that there something? are children's masks um, because I mean, honestly. I've been doing a lot of reading about masks and stuff, and the pediatric masks come from China because they live with this sort of pollution right, every right, day. Right. But they're really hard to get a hold of. Nobody stocks them. Right. They, they brought in some here. I mean, every now and then you hear a little rumor, oh, Safeway has some, and then you go there, and they're all gone because there's just, you know, they're... And, Honestly, the kids shouldn't wear them. Like, the recommendation is that children shouldn't wear the masks. But, you know, like, in this situation, I mean, your your options are mask or no mask. Right, right. Um, and tell me again, what is the number of that mask? Because there's different um, types. There's, there's N, it's N95 is the, the base mask. And then there are also N99 masks, which are just a little better. Um, and then I want to say that there's a rating that's called P100, but I don't know what that actually goes to, but it's always clumped with the, that group of numbers. Okay. I think that might be more for the actual respirators, the the permanent mm-hmm. ones that you replace the filters on. I think that the P100 might be for that. And you said N is in Nancy, right? N is in Nancy, Okay, yes. great. 
Well, um, is there any uh, other anything else you can think of? I mean, I know at this point we're we you guys are in um, crisis mode. When you look ahead a month from now, I mean, maybe that's not even doable right now because you have to stay in the moment to just not yeah, get so not stressed to not be yeah. overwhelmed. But is there anything you can think of that you know might help in a long, more long term way? for that area? Well, that is a really deep question. Um, I think that what's really important right now is to not forget that this is going to go on for a while. You know, people are going to get tired of hearing about this Mm -hmm. really fast. You know, the news cycle is going to move on to the next disaster, but these people here, paradise isn't going to recover. It's going to be years before people can actually go back up there. There are no houses. There's no electricity. Their septic system is all kinds of screwed up now and it's unsafe you know so we're dealing with a play a world where we're going to have to find people are going to have to move away you know and they're going to have to go with nothing and hope that they're going to find something somewhere else you know i mean it's it's just it's so so overwhelming it is overwhelming, uh, and I, I know there's a, a housing shortage already in California, so there, I, I know that's also an issue that there's really nowhere for people to go. Oh, and yeah, like here it was already an issue. They had it all. There was stuff about it for the election, you know, going back and forth about what are we going to do about housing for these people or those people. Well, now we've got a whole new group of people that we're going to have to deal with, you know, and, you know, we already have a pretty large homeless population here, and so we've got the the newly homeless people versus the uh, previously homeless mm-hmm. people. And, you know, it's not going well there either, you know. And, and it's just, I think that we have to remember that one of the reasons that we're in this situation is because we don't pay enough attention to our own communities and making sure that that it's not just lip service, mm-hmm. you know, that it's they're not just pretending that they're going to help you. You know, we have to hold people that say they're going to help to be accountable Mm -hmm. you know it would be great if you know the president when he comes to visit actually knows the name of the town that might be helpful right what was he in paradise i mean that that seems like a show up yeah Yeah, i heard that he he did um i know too that called it by the wrong name oh my god what did he call it pleasure i think it was oh boy that's somewhere in reno um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, we've got some more time left. And, you know, one of the I, I'm not sure, you know, we talked a little bit about the environmental, not just the impact that you guys are having right now. And and one of the things I think people need to realize is this air quality isn't just going to stay in California. This oh, no. kind of bad air quality is going to make its way here and uh, across the Midwest. And, you know, as we look ahead to um you know, whether it's the political stuff coming up, you know, with the presidential race and, um, you know, what the new people that we've we've elected into office are, are going to start doing on January 1st. One of my um, one of my big issues is environmental climate change stuff. And I know California is ahead in a lot of ways when it comes to sort of starting to mitigate in areas that other places aren't yet. Um, but there's been a drought there for years. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I think too, when you get to local levels, you're not going to see, um, sort of the same, uh, endeavor to be working with 
the confines of climate change and what's that, what is that going to mean for our, our communities? So some areas are a little, I would say, more conservative or probably not. That's not real high on their list. And I'm wondering now, um, and not just this fire, but, the, you know, there's going to be more fires, April. It's like, oh, I, yeah. you know, and I know that that's something that, that people there tend to um, deal with on a more regular basis than other places. But how do we, how do we, and and what do we do for the future as far as, you know, when people do decide to rebuild, if it's somewhere else besides paradise? Um, I think that one of the most important things to remember is that I feel like, especially in California, where we have a lot of fires, is that there's this cycle, okay? And you have a fire, and they hire all the firemen, and then everything burns, and it's a cycle. You, you pay people to be firemen while there's a threat, and then the threat goes down, and then they fire the firefighters. And then they're not out there doing the work that they should be doing you know, all year long. One of the things that I did when I lived in Iowa was that I did prairie restoration, and so we learned a lot about, about controlled burns. Mm-hmm. And in California, they are not big fans of that. They don't control burn here nearly enough. And I think some of it is that they're scared. You know, the fires are so bad here that everybody's just so fearful of the fire in general. You know, it's human nature to be afraid of fire. It's mm-hmm. like our number one enemy. You know, our little lizard brain starts freaking out when we start smelling smoke because that's our, like, our number one, you know. That's what's trying to eat us. And I feel like if we could manage forestry better, you know, and I'm not talking about raking the forest, okay? I'm talking about paying people whose job it is to go out and be good at it, you Mm -hmm. know, to cut down and remove the trees that need to be removed, to do the things that are important. You know, not just set rules and say, oh, you have to clear your brush 500 feet from any standing structure, because in California, that's the rule. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. the, the law in California says you must clear your brush a certain number of feet from every existing structure. But that's not enough. You know, like, that's what people do to make sure their houses don't burn down. But mm-hmm. what we need is somebody to be making sure that our forests are healthy, you know. The Native Americans lived in this country. They managed living in California because they worked with the fire. They used the fire to make them safe. You know, we don't use fire to make us safe. We live in a fire habitat or environment that should burn on a regular basis. California should burn. If you look at the trees, they're adapted to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They survive. The oak trees, the thick the thick cambium on the on the on the pine trees it helps them to survive and you know it's i feel like it's just we don't take our environment seriously and we don't take management of our environment seriously and if our current administration is any example of this they're just cutting things left and right mm-hmm. trying to make money when we really could be making money right by having a healthy economy, April people aren't suffering all these disasters all the time. April, we got to go here, hon. Um, okay. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we'll put up some posts. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So 
Again, thanks for tuning in to the Fallon Forum. If you're listening on one of the community-owned stations that rebroadcast the forum, stick around. We've got more conversation for you. Thanks to station manager Juan Rodriguez, producer Ashley Martinez, and production assistant Sherry Hardini. And just so you know, you've been warned, Ed will be back next week. This is Laura Faraci wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. Again, um, Laura Faraci here. Uh, today we got the opportunity to talk to April Hall. She is a resident of Chico, California, and she has been intimately involved in the um, fire as far as she's got family members that are from Paradise that did get out, thankfully. Uh, but she had been working with uh, feeding the firefighters, and, you know, she just got kind of involved on a level um, that others weren't able to. So we had her on the show today, and she laid out a very devastating reality for folks in this part of California. Um, this is a place where fire, uh, you know, getting... Uh, out of the area quickly. Um, they practice these fire evacuations a lot. People are very aware of, um, you know, how dry it is and ways to mitigate uh, the possibility of fire. My guess is, and I, I don't know for sure how the campfire fire started. I've heard that uh, PG&E, uh, which is the the uh, energy company in that area, um, which also, by the way, is part of the greater organization, uh, PG&E, that Aaron Brockovich, years ago, fought back. Uh, uh, it was all about clean water. It was toxins in water and just environmental uh, degradation because of the um, the uh, plants that PG&E owned. So this is the same organization, this is the same business that is now being scrutinized um, because of, um, I think one of the problems was electricity wasn't turned off in certain areas. So if you have a fire and it comes along and it hits a breaker and then there's an explosion, then that just feeds the fire more. Um, I'm no expert. I don't intend to, 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 you know, so please don't take my word as <laughs> the last word on this at all. But that's just my understanding. And a lot of people came out pretty early um, uh, talking about how PG&E um, didn't do some of the things they were supposed to do and said they would do. And they're now getting the their pants sued. Um, but... I think it's imperative that we remember corporations, especially like PG&E and others, Dow Corporation, um, other corporations that deal in fossil fuels, in, in chemicals, they're not looking out for us. We are not the bottom line. Money is the bottom line. And it's lives and health, they're the cost of that bottom line. 
So one of the things I think is important for us to remember is that we have a voice as consumers. So reach out to corporations. Ask them what their climate change policy is. What are their environmental um, policies on the level of the actual brick and mortar of their business? Um, Recycling, using efficient building, you know, building techniques and and structures. Um, All that makes a difference. And in the case of, you know, the fire that that April um, talked to us about in, in such graphic ways is that folks there already kind of were privy to this stuff, and it still was devastating. And I think part of the reason why it was devastating is because along with this drought, the actions of human beings, whether it's burning a fossil fuel, um, building in certain ways cheaper because you don't want to spend the money on the front end. These are things we have to examine as we go forward. April mentioned climate refugees, and that is exactly what the folks in Paradise, California are and other parts of California that have had fires. There is no extra housing to go around in California. And uh, as you know, most people know, the housing prices there are just out of reach for the majority of people. So, so what do we mean by climate refugee? Um, I think it might be fairly, uh, fairly obvious to some people where you're living, you're not able to live at anymore because of climate issues, whether it's um, flooding, uh, fire, just the fact that farmers cannot grow crops. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize the, the, um, the war in Syria you know, there were several ways in which it started and why it started, but one of the main ways that it got to the point that it did for the for the um, folks there to rebel is because farmers were not able to grow their food in the rural areas. They were dealing with a, a, a pretty bad drought, and you had scores of families moving to the cities to try to find work and feed their families. And then this overwhelmed that infrastructure. And, you know, when, when economics are that dire for people, there's just a level of desperation that can lead to things like war and, and unrest. So, you know, that's the kind of climate refugee we tend to think about. Um, Another would be uh, the immigrants coming up from South America. I mean, these are folks that um, don't have a way to make a living to feed their families. Now, many of them are leaving because the unrest in their countries is such that their children are in danger of being shot or pulled into gangs and so, you know, that's another kind of um, refugee, and, and it is connected to climate as well. I will read a short um, article here from NPR, and it was put out last summer, June of, of 2018, and it's called The Refugees the World Barely Pays Attention to. 
This month, diplomats from around the world met in New York and Geneva to hash out a pair of new global agreements that aim to lay out new guidelines for how countries should deal with the unprecedented surge in the number of displaced people, which has now reached 65.5 million worldwide. And and I, I want to remind folks that the the people in California, you know, where are they going to go? Um, and when we here in Iowa talk about climate refugees, we look at our part of the country as being a place where people are probably going to come. Um, we have, uh, as people know here in Iowa, it's a beautiful place. It's a great place to raise your family. And uh, the cost of living is pretty low. Ed, Ed and I have talked about this, about how, you know, when the coasts of Fort Lauderdale and Miami and, and New York and, and other coasts on the, on the west part of the country um, are inundated with water, where are they going to come? They're going to come inland. They're going to come to the Midwest. They're going to go to Chicago. Um, well, of course, Chicago has a lake. So how is that going to work? Um, in the case of California and other parts of the West where fires are pretty prevalent, you know, where are these people going to go? So this is not just a problem happening over there to someone else. Um, it's happening right here. So uh, I think it's important that we understand why people are coming here from South America, why people want to come here from the Middle East. And this scares our leaders, the ones in power. And I challenge the GOP and their supporters to um, don't wait until it's us that are the refugees, okay? Let's not wait till then. Let's start working now towards building infrastructure and creating jobs that will take us through to the next, you know, 50 years and mitigate some of the issues we're having from climate change. That's my challenge, folks. We can do it, just like we did in World War II. We can galvanize this country and work towards that future. And thanks for tuning in today, folks. This is Laura Faraci. So honored and uh, happy that I was able to fill in for Ed today. I love what he does on this show, and I appreciate the opportunity to, um, to add to that. Have a great holiday, folks, and Ed will be back next Monday.